Well, good morning, church. Uh, if you've been with us over the last two weeks, then you've seen some different faces in the pulpit over the, the coming weeks, or the, the past two weeks. We've had some students from RTS who have filled in for me uh, as I've been writing and working through my, my doctoral project. And so I'm thankful for the, the previous two, uh, Nate and Zach, who came in and led us the last two weeks. And I'm thankful for Jack coming this morning. Uh, Jack is from Locust. And he's a student in, at RTS in Charlotte with about two years left on his end-of degree. And so we're thankful for him. I'm thankful for, for Jack in here giving me the time this week to get some additional writing done. And so, Jack, uh, come bring the word. We're ready. Well, good morning, church. It's a joy and a privilege to... Greet you all in the name and spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you, Patrick, again for having me. Um, the, the welcome has been so warm this morning, um, especially being a family, county, local myself. I'm really thankful to be worshiping with you all this morning. I just want to say first, the, uh, the children's sermon, Patrick, was often children preach the greatest sermon. Isn't that not true? And, uh, and we're going to even see that in our text momentarily here in a few minutes. Um, I just want to add one, one word. Uh, to Patrick's introduction, you guys met Nate uh, two weeks ago. Nate Grolf, am I correct? Uh, so Nate is uh, moving on to become a pastor in Michigan this coming summer. I'm not sure if he shared that with you all. Um, but I will be uh, succeeding him as the director of admissions in the RTS admissions office. So I just wanted to introduce myself in that new role I'm taking on. Um, if any of you have connections or have any questions about RTS admissions, Wanting to take some classes. I make the hour-long commute in. You can join me one day. Um, uh, I'd be happy to chat with you uh, after the service. Feel free to come up and we can, we can chat together. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 10. Uh, Patrick has already kind of set us up beautifully for the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. Mark chapter 10, just to orient ourselves before we dive into our story this morning. Mark chapter 10 is a chapter of contrast. And, and not simply just any contrast between one thing or another, but they're, contra- they're upside-down contrasts. And what I mean by that is that there are contrasts that revolve around discipleship, how we go about following Jesus, walking on the way with him. First, if you're looking at your Bibles or your devices, you'll see that Jesus first begins, there are some parents that bring children to Jesus to lay his hands on them. And some of his disciples find this very annoying. But Jesus turns this upside down. He says, actually, unless you receive the kingdom of God like these children, you won't have a place in it. Secondly, Next, he's, he's encountered by a rich young man who comes to him and boasts about his money, boasts about his obedience to God's law. And Jesus calls him to abandon everything, to sell it all, and to come have him instead. Of course, this actually uh, is not annoying to the rich young man, but it is deeply disappointing. He leaves away sorrowful from Jesus. And the disciples are extremely confused. If this man cannot be in the kingdom of God, then what hope is there for the rest of us? This guy is amazing. Do we have any hope to be in God's kingdom? Jesus is, again, turning their expectations of what God does 
upside down. Finally, if you're looking at this passage right before our text, we have two of Jesus' closest disciples come to him and they ask to sit at his right hand and at his left hand in glory. They want the positions of power, the positions of recognition. And Jesus says, I could totally miss it. Completely miss it. And right in the middle, if you notice, I kind of skipped over this part, right in the middle, Jesus, for the third time, tells his disciples that he was on the way to Jerusalem. And when he arrives in Jerusalem, he's going to be crucified. This is the way of Jesus. This is the way of following Christ. And this is what he was calling his disciples to. He's telling his disciples two things. He's telling them what he's like and how to follow him. If they want to follow Jesus, if they want to be close to him as, their, as his disciples, they have to walk the way of death. To follow Jesus is to be like him. And if you want to be great in following Jesus, the way is weakness. The way is humility. And what he requires of us is childlike faith, brimming with joy. But it brings us to our, uh, to our text this morning. That's what characterizes followers of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, especially this last section of it is a picture, a living picture of what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple. So read with me. We're going to be beginning in verse 46 of Mark chapter 10. So please follow with me as we finish the chapter. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And he said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we come to you this morning asking, pleading that you would fill us with the kind of faith that we see in this story. We ask for your Holy Spirit's grace for me as I teach and preach, for us as we listen, as we study. Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts to receive the truth of your word. We ask that you fill us with faith, fill us with the joy that comes with being united to Christ. So we ask for your Spirit's blessing and grace and life as we study your word this morning. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. It was March 1748. The Greyhound ship was crossing the North Atlantic when a terrible storm struck and began filling the boat with water. In fact, at one point, the storm was so bad and the water, the, the water was filling the boat so quickly, one of the sailors was swept away off of the boat itself into the water. After hours of attempting to empty the boat of water and to prevent it from capsizing, one particularly crude sailor 
quietly to himself, prayed, Lord, have mercy upon us. Same words Bartimaeus spoke a moment ago. He then steered the boat through the storm for the next 11 hours. And it took almost two weeks for the boat to actually arrive at shore in Ireland. That young sailor knew that something was different in him after that storm. It took years, actually, for real fruit to come out of his life. But he knew that he had experienced real faith for the first time in his life. Eventually, about 30 years after this incident, that sailor would write one of the most well-known hymns that we have in our language that we sing today. His name was John Newton, and the first words of that song go like this. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That amazing grace that opens this song, that opens the eyes of the blind, is the heart of this story. Some have actually called the song Amazing Grace the, uh, the spiritual autobiography of John Newton. And I think... This story that we see here of blind Bartimaeus, this is his spiritual biography. This is the story of Bartimaeus' faith. And you can think of Bartimaeus this morning as a portrait of joyful faith. A portrait that you and I can, can imitate, can follow. And I want us to see four dimensions of faith in our story this morning. The first is the need for faith. Secondly, we're going to see the persistence of faith. Thirdly, we will see the invitation to faith. And finally, the fruit of faith. So follow along with me if you have your Bibles open. First, we're going to see the need for faith. And here we're introduced to Bartimaeus. Look down with me at verse 46. Jesus and his disciples come to Jericho as he was leaving the city with his disciples. We're introduced to Bartimaeus. We're only told three things about Bartimaeus. One of we're told what his name is. Bartimaeus, which literally means the son of Timaeus. Which, to us, may not seem like a particularly striking thing, but this is the only time in the Gospel of Mark where we are told the name of someone that Jesus heals. This is the only instance where we're told his name. Matthew tells us that there were actually two blind men that Jesus healed as he was exiting Jericho. But Mark focuses in on Bartimaeus, focuses in on this one man. Here's what Mark is doing. He's telling us, don't forget this was a real man. Bartimaeus was a real man. His life was truly changed on this day. He was given a new identity. Those other things that you knew him for that we'll get to in one moment, he's no longer those things. Those things aren't true of him anymore. Or if they are, he now has an overarching identity, and that is belonging to Jesus. Which brings us to the second thing we're told about Bartimaeus. He was blind. You might recall in John chapter 9, Jesus interacts with another blind man. And when, they, when Jesus and his disciples find this blind man, his disciples immediately assume that this man or his parents must have committed some terrible sin for his life to have ended up like this. 
But Jesus says, no, I have it totally backwards. That's not, that's not what's going on. Blindness in Jesus' day was a sign of something gone terribly wrong in someone's life. But Jesus in John chapter 9 tells his disciples, it's not because this man or his parents committed some terrible sin. It's actually all part of my plan. It's so that my glory might be manifested in his life and in the lives of those who are watching. We're going to see the exact same thing in this story. Bartimaeus is blind, not because he's committed some terrible sin, although, of course, he was a sinner. It was because God's glory was going to be manifested, demonstrated in his life in these few verses. So we're told his name, Bartimaeus. We're told he's blind. Lastly, Bartimaeus is a beggar. You know, Jericho was an incredible city in the ancient world. It was an oasis in a desert area. It was beautiful. But the beauty of the city couldn't solve Bartimaeus' problem. He would wake up every day and go out to the street just hoping that some people would be just kind enough to give him enough money for his daily bread. Can I, can I put it colloquially? Bartimaeus was at the bottom of the heap. All he could use was his voice to ask others for help. He couldn't see. He presumably couldn't walk. Try to imagine for a moment how many countless days Bartimaeus must have gone out and sat by that roadside and asked for money, just hoping people would be just generous enough to give him a little bit of cash on their way to or out of the city. Bartimaeus' life, no doubt, was a desperate one. He was completely dependent on others keeping him alive. And the truth is, in order to know where to find help, you first have to know that you have a need. That's what we see so clearly here in Bartimaeus' story. His need was clear. He needed physical healing so that he could be, you know, financially, economically independent, which is a good thing. But his need went far deeper. His need was far greater than anything concerning money. He needed sight, but Bartimaeus also needed a Savior. He needed his spiritual eyes to be opened even more so than his physical eyes. He had been deeply affected by sin, both in his body and in his soul. There was nothing he could do to get his vision back, and surely there was nothing he could do to rescue himself from the problem of his own sin. There was nothing he could do on his own to make himself right with God. But what we'll see is on a day when he was presumably asking all kinds of people coming in and out of Jericho for money on that day, this day was going to be a different day. It would, in fact, be the most important day of his entire life. Someone was coming through Jericho who would give him something far greater than money he would actually give him mercy, which is what we're going to see in our second point. Not only do we see the need for faith, kind of the foundation of it, we see the persistence of faith. This is exactly what Bartimaeus asked Jesus for, mercy. Look look down with me at verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. His day changed when he learned who was coming through town. By this point, 
the word had begun to spread about Jesus. People knew who this man was. They were seeing the very things that Jesus had, had predicted would be true of him in Luke chapter 4. When he read from Isaiah in the Nazareth synagogue, he said he will be proclaiming good news to the poor. He'll proclaim liberty to the captives. He will give recovering of sight to the blind. Setting at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus came to do. And that is the word that's beginning to spread about this man. Bartimaeus may not be able to see, but did you notice he makes the best use of the rest of his senses? Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is coming through town. This is important. When Jesus steps into someone's life, there's no, there's no neutral response to Jesus. Either you will reject him or you will embrace him as your Lord. Bartimaeus, you can tell, has no neutral response to Jesus in his life. When Jesus comes in, Bartimaeus responds accordingly. He does not reject him as his enemy. He receives him as his Lord. He begins to cry out for Jesus to come to him. What exactly does, does Bartimaeus ask for? First, did you notice how he describes Jesus? Look with me at verse 47. Jesus, son of David. This is, you can think of this as Bartimaeus' confession of who Jesus is. He's the coming Messiah. He's the Savior that God had promised all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible. The one who would come to rescue his people from their sins. The king who would come from David. The one who would establish his kingdom forever. But this is the problem in Jesus' day. The people who were expecting a Messiah, all the Jewish people who were looking forward to the coming of the Savior, they thought that he was going to be a military warrior. They thought that he was going to come in, get rid of the Romans, and establish the new empire. The problem is that's not why Jesus came. There's a part of that that's true. Jesus came, and Jesus established the kingdom. And Jesus conquered his enemies. But the enemies that Jesus came to conquer was not Rome. His enemies were sin, death, and the devil. Those are, that's Jesus coming as a warrior to defeat his enemies. His kingdom is far different than our humanly expectations for a kingdom. Which brings us to the second part of what Bartimaeus cries out to Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus couldn't see Jesus' face, but Bartimaeus knew Jesus' heart. He asked Jesus for mercy. He knew his need, and he knew precisely who he needed to go to. This is what Bartimaeus did from the crowd. Did you look down? Did you notice at verse 48? Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The crowd saw Jesus with their eyes, but Bartimaeus saw Jesus by his face. Friends, don't miss this. Spiritual vision is far better than physical vision. It's better, it's not enough just to know facts about Jesus, or just to know who he is, or to have read the Bible occasionally, or to know some things about him. The crowd actually saw Jesus. They actually followed him around 
and yet they didn't truly know who he was or why he had come. They didn't know why he came, who he came to save. The crowd was worried about maintaining the status quo. They thought that Bartimaeus was just a distraction to Jesus, that, that Jesus didn't have time for people like Bartimaeus, that he was a distraction. Jesus was concerned with important people, people that had something to bring to the table. Not blind beggars, outsiders, marginalized people like Bartimaeus. But in the Bible, often the blind people, those who have no sight, have the greatest spiritual insight. Um, you, guys, you guys might know um, a, a theologian named J.I. Packer. Yeah, he just passed away a couple of years ago. But uh, a number of years ago, in 2016, he, uh, he had a degenerative eye disease that um, caused him to lose his sight completely. And, um, and J.I. Packer has been one of the most important and influential theologians in the 20th century. And so his writing ministry uh, came, to a, came to a halt. And as he was being interviewed about, what does this mean for your ministry? What is this going to look like for the rest of, of your time with us? How are you going to continue serving the church? He began to say, I know that this comes from headquarters. I know that this is God's plan in my life. And it's fine. The Lord's in control. He's providentially watching over all of my life and he's sustaining me to the end. J.I. Packer lost his physical vision, but his spiritual vision was almost heightened by his inability to see. This is often true. Um, you guys might have seen videos like this before. Um, a, number of, a number of different organizations have now uh, kind of copied the same thing. But if you go on to online, you can find videos of uh, children who are given a task. And what they'll do is they'll blindfold a child and they'll bring the child into a room and they'll have about half a dozen women lined up, one of whom is that child's mother. And what they'll, what they'll ask the child to do is to remain blindfolded and to pick out of the line which woman is his or her mother. Does that make sense? So it's interesting because the child will walk forward very timidly and, and most of the children are young so the women will, will kneel down and the child will begin touching her face, touching her hair, feeling her shoulders, touching her nose. And then he'll move, he'll, he or she will move to the next, the next mother and do the same thing. Every single time that child picks his or her mother. Every time. Because simply seeing is not enough. The relationship is what, is what conquers the vision. A child can pick out his or her mother because he or she knows the relationship. They know their mother. Almost the same is true. Almost the same thing is happening here in this story. Bartimaeus cannot see Jesus with his eyes, but he knows Jesus. He knows him by faith. He knows him by the Spirit filling him with faith and drawing him to Christ. So all Bartimaeus has to do is he knows Jesus is coming through. And he knows that is my king. That is my savior. But did you notice, what, what, is the, what does the crowd do? They actually bar Bartimaeus from Jesus himself. Blind Bartimaeus sees Jesus much more clearly than the crowd does. The ones who could actually see him are the ones who failed to know him and see him for who he truly is. 
Instead of being a bridge to Jesus, the crowd was a barrier to Jesus for Bartimaeus. They misunderstood who Jesus was, and so they failed to love the way Jesus loves. They prevented him from receiving the love that Bartimaeus needed the most. If you don't know Jesus, it's impossible to love like Jesus. Lots of people today like some things that Jesus said, or they like some things about what he taught. They think he's a great moral example or perhaps a great teacher, but they're much more resistant to allowing him to be the Lord of their lives. They're much more resistant to allowing him to say, I want to be your king. Many people are not comfortable with that. They draw the line there. But Jesus demands everything. He says, if you truly love me, if you truly want to follow in my ways, you must know me. That's the only way to love the way I love, is to be close to me. You must identify yourself with Christ. And sometimes Jesus' own disciples miss this. If you have time uh, this afternoon or this week, flip through different stories in the Gospel of Mark before this one. The disciples missed this time and time again. They would rather have Jesus on their own terms rather than submit to his rule in their life. They missed one of the most important things about Jesus. His kingdom is not like our kingdom. Jesus rules a different kind of kingdom. The crowd missed this too. The crowd, they like to be rulers of their own little kingdom. They like to leave Bartimaeus and people like him outside of their kingdom while accepting others. But the Lord looks on the outward appearance from the heart. So this is the question for us this morning. Do we have room in our lives, in our faith, in our churches, for people like Bartimaeus? Are we bridges to Jesus or are we barriers to Jesus? Do we submit to the rule of Christ's kingdom or do we stubbornly cling to our own micro-kingdoms in comparison to his? Jesus' kingdom is different than ours. And he calls outsiders in through his own people. Jesus responds to Bartimaeus' invitation with an invitation of his own, an invitation to faith. This is our third point. Look with me at verse 49. After Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, Jesus stopped and said, call him. I bet the crowd was shocked when Jesus actually stopped and paid attention to Bartimaeus. He wanted to speak with him. You might be familiar, there was another man in Jericho that Jesus wanted to speak with. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus was also an outsider. He stole people of, his, of their money. He didn't fit in to the way people wanted him to be. Jesus has a knack for finding outsiders. He has a knack for finding the outcasts, the ones that people don't care anything about. And he doesn't reject them. Instead, he restores them. He calls them into a relationship. The crowd actually got this part right. Read on with me in verse 49. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. Listen to their words. First, they encourage. Cheer up. Take heart. Secondly, they exhort. Get up. Arise. Get on your feet. 
Finally, they announce, He's calling you. Friends, there are very few more encouraging words in the whole Bible than these words in this story. The same invitation to Bartimaeus 2,000 years ago on that road in Jericho, friends, is the same invitation that Jesus extends to each and every one of you this morning. Take heart. Get up. He is calling you. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background is, no matter what your condition is, you can take heart and come to Christ. Because He is calling you. His invitation is not only to the influential or the important or the powerful. It's to ordinary people like Bartimaeus and like us. And Bartimaeus joyfully accepts this invitation. Look at the vivid description of his response in verse 50. Throwing off his cloak, he, he doesn't stand up. Bartimaeus jumps up and he comes to Jesus. Bartimaeus' persistent faith is also a joyful faith. Expecting Jesus to change his life in an instant. Some of you may be thinking, well, that's great. But I don't have a faith like that. I don't have a faith like Bartimaeus. I don't jump up on my feet and come to Christ. Friends, faith itself is a gift. Bartimaeus did not conjure up faith in himself. It was a gift given to him by the Spirit through Christ. The same is true for us. Our responsibility is not to conjure up faith. It's to fall before Christ and say, fill me with faith. Fill me with that joy so I can walk with you and follow you, Lord Jesus. Help me to submit by the power and help of your Spirit. Not because I can do it on my own, but because you call me into a discipleship relationship with you. That's the call of faith. That's what it looks like to cry out to Christ and ask for his help in walking obediently with him. And that is the kind of faith that bears fruit in our lives, which brings us finally to our last point, point four, the fruit, the fruit of faith. Look with me at verse four, uh, 51. Excuse me. Bartimaeus comes to Christ. Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? The crowd attempted to silence the voice of Bartimaeus. Now Jesus invites Bartimaeus to speak. He invites Bartimaeus to confess his faith. This is a, a, Jesus knows exactly what Bartimaeus wants. He's giving Bartimaeus an opportunity to express, to demonstrate, to voice his faith. If you, if you glance over in your Bibles at verse 36 of Mark chapter 10, you'll see that Jesus asks his two disciples, James and John, the exact same question. What do you want me to do for you? And they ask for glory and splendor. Bartimaeus simply asks for his fight back. Bartimaeus simply wants to see again. He doesn't ask for glory or for a great reputation. His words demonstrate the sincerity of his humble faith. He asks Jesus, expecting to receive it from him. But what he gets is far better, friends. He actually gets Jesus himself. Jesus doesn't ignore his request. He does indeed restore his sight. But Jesus says, I have something far better for you. I will give you my very self. 
The word, did you notice the word here? Jesus says to him uh, in verse 51, it says, The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Verse 52, Jesus responds to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. The word for made you well is the same word the Bible uses for saved. See, we can almost translate it or read it as, Go your way, your faith has saved you. Your faith has restored you in a relationship with God. Of course, Bartimaeus needed his sight back. But he got something far better. He got not only physical sight, he got spiritual sight. His sight's been restored, but his relationship with Christ himself has been restored. He now has received all of the benefits of being adopted into God's family. Can you imagine when Bartimaeus opened his eyes on that day, the first thing Bartimaeus saw was the face of Jesus. His face had literally become sight. His joy was now complete as he saw the face of his Savior. He had the assurance that as surely as he was looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ that day, just as certainly his sins had been forgiven, he had been restored to God, he had been made a member of God's family. Not only does Bartimaeus confess his faith, but he responds in faith. Finally, he follows Jesus on the way. Did you notice at the beginning of the story, Bartimaeus begins sitting beside the road, and look how the story ends in verse 52. Immediately, Bartimaeus recovered his sight and followed him on the way. He's beside the road, sitting at the beginning of the story. Now he's walking on the path, on the road, on the way, behind Jesus now. He has a new identity. He Earlier he was sitting, now he's walking. He was an outsider, now he belongs to Jesus. He was blind, now he sees. No longer is he a blind beggar. He's now a beloved of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. Bartimaeus was going to learn very quickly what it means to follow Jesus. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at the very next section in Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry. Bartimaeus would walk with Jesus not even, not even 30 miles, which would have been a day trip in Jesus' day. From Jericho until they arrived in Jerusalem. And not even a week after they arrived in Jerusalem, the same crowd as following Jesus on this road. The same crowd that's silencing Bartimaeus, the same crowd in Mark chapter 11 that cries out, Hosanna in the highest to Jesus. That same crowd is going to be the crowd that condemns him to crucifixion. They're going to be the same ones who condemn him to death. Bartimaeus walked with Jesus for a few days before Jesus was killed. I think, it, I think it's safe to assume that Bartimaeus knew about Jesus' arrest, his trial. Perhaps Bartimaeus was even standing there, seeing his Savior die. Bartimaeus discovered a truth that you and I must know if we're going to be real followers, disciples of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you must walk the road of self-denying death. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Bartimaeus didn't do this perfectly, and none of us do this perfectly. 
But when you follow Jesus, you walk the way of the cross, the soaring joys and the painful agony of the cross. Jesus calls his people to boast. In fact, Jesus meets his people in their pain with the joy that comes from union with him. When we put to death our pride, our self-absorption, our reputations, when we put to death our constant need for the approval of others, or our constant desire to always be right. That hurts. But Jesus promises that freedom from sin is true freedom. Some of you may know the story of a woman named Rosaria Butterfield. She publishes some books um, in, here in America. Uh, she used to live a life um, that, was, that was outwardly and publicly sinful. She was, a, she was an English professor at Syracuse University in New York and was living a life far away from Jesus. In fact, Rosaria would claim she was antagonistic. She was an enemy of Jesus. But her testimony is very interesting. It's very encouraging, very life-giving. And she says that a pastor, a local pastor, began writing her letters asking about her life, asking her about her story, asking her about what she believes about the world and what she believes about God. And not too long after that, she began coming into his home and having meals with his family. And she began, over the course of several years, to see what it looks like to follow Jesus, and what it means to be a Christian, what it means to have joy in Christ, to walk the way of faith. And when the time finally came that she was ready to give her life to Christ, this was years in the making, the pastor and some other people in the church cautioned her. He said, before, before you dive into this, count the cost. That pastor, that church, knew following Jesus comes at a cost. It's going gonna, it's gonna to involve putting to death sin. It would be painful. It would require for her especially to say no to relationships, to say no to a job. Following Jesus, submitting to his rule in her life would cost her a great deal. They knew that following Jesus was walking the way of the cross. But the way of the cross is the way to true life. Jesus says, whoever would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That person will find true life. So friends, as we close, this meal that we're about to take together in just a moment is one part of walking the way of the cross. It's one part of walking the way with Jesus to Jerusalem. In a sense, we are walking with him. We remember his death. We glory in his resurrection. We come boldly and joyfully, just like Bartimaeus did. Because Christ is the son of David. He's the one who forgives his people from their sins. He's the one who rose for our justification. In this meal, Jesus is calling to each and every one of us. Cheer up. Take heart. Get up. I am calling you this morning. May we hear, may we hear and heed his voice this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do ask for a faith like Bartimaeus's. We pray that you would fix our eyes, our spiritual eyes, on Christ. That we would be captivated by his love, filled with joy at the fact that he would condescend and enter into a relationship with us. 
So we ask for faith to believe the good news of the gospel. We ask that you would help us to walk the way of the cross with joy. Lord, knowing that you have already walked, that you've already overcome the world, and even now, by your Spirit, you walk with us now. So remind us of that great truth. Remind us of the comfort that we have in your death and resurrection. And would even now, as we take this bread, as we take this drink, would you fill us with faith, would you assure us of the salvation that we have in Christ in our union with him. We thank you for this story. We thank you for Bartimaeus. We thank you that you've given him to us as an example for us to follow. Would you help us to walk that way faithfully? In Jesus' name, amen.